Praise the Lord, church. It's a, yeah, you got it. It's a good morning. Beautiful, sunny, brisk morning. Um, everybody got their coffee, wide awake, ready to start the day. Brother Scott's saying no. A couple more cups. Well, well, praise the Lord. It's, it's good to be in the house of God this morning. Um, so we're going to continue um, the series of God's Amazing People this morning. Um, I was, I, well, there's more people in here than there was a while ago when I thought, whenever I looked out there, everybody caught wind that I was teaching, so they decided to not show up. But... Uh, the only one that didn't know was Brother Brett, uh, and he came up here, and he was ready to teach this morning, so I told him, I said, well, both of us stayed up probably till midnight last night, getting it all worked together, but I'm not going to be here next Sunday, so it's all you, so sorry for the miscommunication, yeah, <laughs> so, but anyway, um, while praying this week about who I wanted to talk about, or who I needed to talk about, rather. Um, my main focus and intention was to find someone relatable, um, not only to me, but to everyone in this room as well. I wanted to speak on someone that has had experiences in, in highs and in lows, uh, victories and defeat, and someone that has walked in their fair share of the flesh, but also knew that a Walk with God was the only true way of walking in victory. I want to briefly touch this morning on several accounts and moments that we read in Scripture about King David. The first mention we have of David is when the Lord is speaking to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, and I completely spaced on getting Scriptures. I just realized that. Um... But if y'all want to follow along, 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're starting. Um, and the Lord said to, to Samuel to look not on the countenance nor the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, I tried to find the context of the statement because I have refused him, and there's not much information on this. However, some scholars that I found believe that that's referring to the rejection of Saul, of Saul as king, while others seem to believe that it refers to God withholding David from being tall in stature. And if you look at the flow of Scripture, I kind of lean more towards the latter. Um, so today, if you're feeling refused or rejected, it may just be because you're short. Praise the Lord. Um, so, but David was the youngest of eight sons, and I'm sure Jesse, his father, thought for, for a fact that one of his older sons would be the one to be anointed king. And it's pretty obvious by the fact that he never considered even calling for David, maybe because their outward countenance was different than that of David's, and if I had to guess, also due to having more experience in the battlefields. But as you read on, uh, you can almost picture his father's response to the Lord had not chosen these. Almost like, yeah, right, that leaves little old David. 
But just like in each of our lives, the plan that God has for our lives mostly never makes sense to us, and especially not to anyone else. But God not only knew the heart of David, he also knew the experiences that he had had tending to the sheep. All, while, all the while, David remaining humble. Self-humility will get you further in all areas of life than what boasting in your abilities could ever do. And I feel that we see that a lot through David's life. By doing so, it set the stage for him to be able to be used by God and the capacity that he was used time after time. I've thought a lot this week on the early life of David, and I also thought about my view growing up as a child um, of David. And I imagine, I imagine him as a small child around the age of, I don't know, 12, 14 years old, out skipping rocks in the creek, climbing trees as he was watching the sheep. Can, can anybody relate? Kind of the same thoughts. Um, and either way, the Bible kind of sets it up for one to think that he was a child. But it turns out that King David was the ripe old age of 30 years of age when he was anointed by Samuel, based off of what I could find. I personally count the age of 30 to be when I was in my prime. Um, from there to a now short seven years, I look at things a little bit longer before I pick them up. Um, am I going to get the tractor? Am I going to call for help? Um, seriously, though, I'm, I'm over here at 37 thinking, how can I retire at 40? And King David's getting anointed to rule a nation at the age of 30. Uh, I've missed the mark, I, I do think. Uh, but all the years leading up to this day for David were filled with moments or encounters to equip him for what was to come. Every battle, every song, every time he had to find a lost sheep, it was all laid out to pave the path for his calling to be king. He was great at focusing on the now moments, letting God handle everything else that was to come. The first moment of David's calling that we read about was not a place of ruling over someone or a nation or coming up with new customs or orders to put in place as king, and it wasn't even a moment of battle. Rather, we see his first appointed calling in a place of servanthood, a place of service, a place of humility, a place of waiting, if you would. He was called upon by the king of that time, King Saul, to be his personal musician and armor bearer. And for the sake of those that may not know the full story of the transition from Saul to David, we find in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 10 through 11, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. But what it all boils down to is that Saul had a self-problem. He liked it his ways and not necessarily the ways of God. Saul liked to be right on the edge of right and wrong. But we see where God had commanded Saul to go and utterly destroy all the Amalekites, meaning all the men, women, children, and animals. However, when it came time for Saul to fulfill his end of the deal, he allowed room for rebellion and compromise to take place seemingly forgetting the commandments that he had received from God. 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord 
as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of, of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So due to the actions and rebellion of Saul, God has called for a new king to be anointed. In chapter 16, verse 13, Samuel takes the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And from that day forward, in the very next verse, we see that in that very moment that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. I've always been bothered by that scripture because there's nothing evil about God, but what it is is he allowed an evil spirit to come and trouble him. I feel that these would have likely been the same spirits that would have possibly tried to attack Saul while anointed king, but they could not come against him because the spirit of God that was upon him. Through a moment of direct disobedience and rebellion and turning away from God, Saul found himself no longer with a hedge or covering and protection of God. Pastor Paul stated many times, obedience is always better, is greater than sacrifice. We cannot replace obeying the word of God with good deeds or with talents or with efforts, with customs or traditions or with any of our abilities. However, if we will align ourselves with the word of God, then all these things, I feel, will fall into place the way that they ought. But through obedience and pushing self aside, we will allow room for God to use us in whatever area he so chooses. We see this come to fruition in David's life, I think many of us could agree. And as he was called to his first place of ministry as an armor bearer, he could have thought to himself, now God, I know you've called me to something greater than this, but I don't think he did. His whole life embodied servanthood and embodied caring and protecting and nurturing that not of himself, but rather that of the sheep and his family. He didn't boast and go around beating his chest, uh, declaring that he was to be the new king. Instead, what did he do? He served. I've heard it my entire life, and as well of you, as you, that if you can't be used, God with, used by God with a broom in your hand, then what makes you think he can use you with a mic in your hand? And I say that humbly right now. And there is so much truth in that statement, though. If we can't handle the burden of getting dirt off the floor, then how could we possibly handle the weight that comes with being in a ministry of helping lead dirty people to Jesus? Servant equals vessel that is ready for use, not a vessel full of itself. So that prompts me to ask this question today. How open are we to being used by God? Or better yet, how willing are we to be used also, are we going to put limitations on how God is going to use us? I think we all need to ponder on those questions. David had made up his mind that no matter the obstacles in front of him, that he would be available for God to use him. The story is probably the most quoted and talked about story in the Bible. Most people, believe it or not, can, can tell you something about the story of David and Goliath. 
It's in storybooks from a young child. And um, I mean, who doesn't like a story about a man small in stature taking out a giant with a slinging stone? It's like the wild, wild west. So, we read that the Philistines set their armies to battle against Israel, though. There were two mountains or ridges leaving the valley in between. And I like how there was emphasis on the locations where the two camps were assembled. Also how the battle took place in the valley. The whole Bible is full of little nuggets like this that, that we can apply to our everyday life. All we have to do is read it and be encouraged. Knowing that if God made a way in the valley for David, for the Israelites, then he can sure do it for me and you. Amen? But there was a champion within the camp of the Philistines named Goliath who stood a little over nine foot tall. And based off of studies that I could find, it is determined that he likely weighed around 580 pounds, his armor alone weighing in roughly around 125 pounds. That's a pretty good-sized man. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be the first to say that if given the opportunity to fight Goliath, I will lift my hand and say, not it, before anybody. So kudos to uh, King David. Uh, but David's three older brothers followed Saul into this battle that was staged between the two mounts. And it says that David returned to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And I, I'd never seen this written, but it, whenever it says David returned, it would make one think that he had just helped them set up to stage the battle. He set up camp. Um, and then he returns back home to help tend his father's sheep. Um, so we have a man just now anointed king, but seemingly not performing king-like duties, and is still performing the task of a servant. Servant. I would like to think that he was in a season of waiting still. It was not time. Meanwhile, at the battle, we read that the 580-pound Goliath for 40 days struck fear in the minds of Saul and the army of Israel. Not one man was willing to go head-to-head -head with the giant. I mean, he was an undefeated champion after all, right? And it was requested by Jesse, the father of David, for him to bring food to the captains and his brothers and to see how they fared in this battle. Once again, meaningless servant work, right? Same old thing over and over again. David, watch the sheep. David, clean this up. David, see if your brothers need anything. Or we could look at it like this. Brother Carlos, go cut the grass before Sunday. Sister Lisa's not here, but go pick up a bus full of kids times three. Um... Brother Moss, make sure the food's cooked. Get here early, because it's got to be right. Brother Price, make sure the air is turned on for the service. Mm -hmm. At 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, Sister Tara would, or Sister Madison, they would pick out the songs, and they pray intently on what songs are to be sung. And, and the singers are practicing, the musicians are practicing, and and all these things, 
seemed like monotonous. Brother Paul preached on monotony last week, I believe. Um, but it all advances the kingdom of God. That old saying, wait, wait, let, me, let me back up. It's in these moments also that things seem to be the hardest in life. Spiritual attacks. Um, life just weights you down whenever you're doing the most that you possibly can for the kingdom. I think we can all relate to that. The devil won't attack someone, though, that he doesn't seem as a threat, see as a threat. David's willingness to be available is what brought him to the battle in the first place. When he arrived, he heard the words that Goliath yelled out to the Israelites, driving fear in all the men of Israel. And it was in this moment that the season of waiting was coming to an end. It was time to be elevated. It was time for a victory. I figure David's response to those around him was probably shocking to most. In quotes, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Why was David so confident and so bold in his response? Some would say because the anointing of God that was on him, and I'm not going to argue that. But I feel that it was because of the faith that he had already established through past victories, years past, that he had to stand upon. He still faced one more obstacle before he battled the giant, though. He had to defeat the doubters, the naysayers, and the critics. And sometimes that can be the biggest battle of all. Not everyone's going to support you and your calling from God. People will question you, talk bad about you. They will doubt your abilities. They will remind you of your past, and the list could go on. But just as David did, be confident in your calling. Be confident in what you feel the Lord has spoken in your life and trust just as David did that the Lord will see you through in his perfect timing. First Samuel 17 and 28 uh, says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when David spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And in verse 33, Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David's response said, that The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And it was in that moment that Saul gave his blessing to David. And he put his armor upon David and put a helmet of brass upon his head. And also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed or attempted to go. For he had not proved it. He was going to test it out. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David then at that time took it off. And this next part is my favorite part of this Bible story. David said he had not proved the armor. He never used those tools before. Could he have figured it out had he had time? Possibly. Could he have learned the art of the sword? I'm sure he could have. 
But once again, now was not was the moment that counted most. And now was the moment that wouldn't be a good time to reinvent the wheel, right? Many of you know Britt and I are building a house. And, and growing up, I went to the School of Hard Knocks, uh, as many of you have. I was raised with the mentality of, we going to figure it out. And I'm good with that. Uh, I've been known many times to use the wrong tool for the job. I've been in construction a lot of years, and you just work with what you got. Um, Brother Price can accredit my laziness. He's been an eyewitness, been out there helping me on the house a lot, and he's told me many times, why don't you just use the hammer that's at the bottom of your ladder instead of the pliers that you're using to beat that nail in. I could probably use the pliers better than I could the hammer, though. Um, another instance I recall is when my father-in-law was down a year ago or so, and I was having to bust out some concrete around the toilet drain that I was about to install. And, and I was using... I want the guy, some, one of the guys to guess what I was using to chip out this concrete come on somebody's done it flat blade screwdriver who said it yeah that's right uh my father-in-law could not fathom the fact that i was using a screwdriver to bust out concrete to the point that he drove to harman's made a special trip and bought me a brand new chisel this thing was beautiful it didn't have a scratch on it it worked good did it work better ah. I don't think so. Uh, but could I tell you where that chisel is now? Absolutely not. I know exactly where the screwdriver is, though. Uh, yeah, exactly. But it was a trusted and proven tool that I have proven over and over again. Um, and just because it's not typically used for breaking concrete uh, did not mean it was not able to complete the task. Because at the end of the day, not everyone would be skilled or dumb enough to use a flat blade screwdriver to bust out concrete. It all just boils down to the hands it was in. Uh, and it's more impressive anyways to say that I did that. The same is said for David, though. He hadn't proved these possibly nicer, more effective tools of battle. Rather, he had in hand what he had always known could stand the test. The Bible says that he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag that he had. And with his sling in his hand, he drew near towards Goliath. What was the importance of the, sm of the smooth stones? And how did he know which ones would be the best stones to use based off of experience and testimony? Taking you back a few years, have you ever used a modern-day slingshot, a.k.a. wrist rocket? Yeah. Um, I was a kid. You couldn't keep one of those out of my hand. And the only way you usually could is if I had already broke the rubber tubes off of it and I was mad as a hornet. 
Um, but the quickest way to break the tube on a slingshot is to use the wrong rock. Um, our driveway was full of crushed gravel and SB2 growing up, and good luck finding a smooth stone in that. We didn't have a creek around, but it's what I had to work with. I would get out there and grab some of the worst, most jagged rocks and try to shoot, I said try, at birds and squirrels. And, but the end result was I don't know where that rock went, basically. And I can, all, I can hear the sound of that flat rock, you know, flying through the air. It was like a warning call to the animal you're trying to shoot. Like, here, I'm coming after you. Move. Well, they didn't have to move. But I remember going through Walmart, and I saw these, the steel shot, those rounds, those steel balls, and I, I always wanted those. My mom never would get them, and finally, one day, I convinced her and when we got home, there was nothing safe. It's like I had experienced a whole new level of expertise. Um, problem is, they lasted me a day. And I was back to using the free gravel that was in my driveway. But the accuracy I gained by using that still small ball versus the jagged rocks was night and day. I could shoot more accurate, accurately at a further distance, um, and it increased my confidence. David had proved that the small stones in his sling were more accurate because he had seen it work time and time again. He was confident that if he picked up the right stone, as he had done many times before, that it would surely, undoubtedly, meet its intended target. I know there's a lot of needs in our lives today, a lot of people facing battles, if you will, that may, maybe have gone on for quite some time. Maybe they started yesterday. But each time you walk through those doors, you're putting a smooth stone in your bag. Each time you start your devotion saying, God, I'm going through it right now, but you are good in spite of all of it. It's another smooth stone in your bag. Each time you mention... The, the name of your loved ones that are lost in prayer, in faith, based off of, God, you've done it before. I've seen prodigals come home. Each time you mention their name, seems monotonous, seems repetitive, but he's hearing it, and that's another smooth stone in your bag. The smooth stone matters because you've proved that it works. It seems at times that your prayers may not be working, and it seems like you may need to make some modifications to your equipment. It seems that maybe it's just not enough at times, but just keep on going, just keep on praying, just keep on believing, and put one foot in front of the other like you always have, and trust that God is going to see you through. His, your prayers are not falling on deaf ears. It's just not His time. The season of waiting, as I said before, is the hardest season that we will ever have to walk through. But hang on, there's a battle to be won. David went into battle with Goliath with a confidence not only in the tools that he had proven, but also with confidence that God would be with him every step of the way, just as he had always been. 
Stand upon the promises you've been given. Stand upon the past healings. Stand upon the last miracle, whether it was yesterday or 30 years ago. In his timing, he will do it again if you're faithful. Psalms 37, 23 through 27 is one of the greatest psalms that King David had ever written, I think. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he should not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. Though Goliath was seemingly, on the surface, one of David's greatest giants that he would face in stature, he certainly would not be the last nor would he be the greatest. 1 Samuel 18, 7 through 9 says, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me thousands. And what can, ha- what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day going forward. Saul could not handle the fact that someone who had less experience, less stature, would be greater than he would be. He was jealous, envious, and despised David after he had defeated Goliath. But not so long ago, we read in chapter 16 that Saul loved David greatly, and he found favor in his sight. Saul had developed a hatred because God was elevating David above him. It was from this moment going forward that David was able to write all the psalms, though, that we read on for encouragement. It took a battle to have a victory, and it took a test to have a testimony. And it took moments of, I don't know what I'm going to do, God, to allow room for a song to be written. We, too, encounter things on a daily basis that are too much for us to handle. And if you're like me... The first thing I like to do when life gets heavy is open up the book of Psalm and read things like Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength, the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Or Psalms 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. All in all, David was flesh, just like you and I. He had struggles. He battled fear. He battled the weight of life itself. He battled the rejections of those around him. But he also battled the lust of the eyes. And Brother Eric briefly touched last week on David's encounter with Bathsheba. And I'm afraid, though, that the church has almost developed a perception that once someone is a child of God, that they will no longer mess up. The truth is that if that were the case, then we would have to die immediately after receiving salvation. But then, who at that point would be here to spread the good news of deliverance? We are all earthen vessels. I'm sure that every preacher that has stood on this platform behind me today 
or stood at that pulpit has had some kind of hang-up that they battled in their life. Every Sunday school teacher that has ever taught your children was flawed and damaged in some kind of way. And if we knew the things that they had done, what would we do? We'd place them in a category of failure. And that points the finger right back at us and further verifies that we too have fallen short of the glory of God. For only God knows the heart of man. And as scripture says, David was a man after God's own heart. Yet he still failed big time. He found himself in a place of isolation, a place where no one else around him was around him. And he allowed his flesh to take control by calling for Bathsheba. The damage had been done at this point. For a moment that we read, David tried to fix it on his own account. He found himself neglecting the covenant of God to cover up his sins instead of running to the one that could forgive the debt that he had just created. He ran to deception instead of grace. He ran to bondage instead of freedom. As we read further on, and I'm, I'm coming to a close this morning, um, the Lord sends the prophet Nathan to David for back, better, lack of better words to read David as male. And as my mom would always say, this is the moment, boy, your sins are going to find you out. And did they ever. You can't lie to a parent. I don't know. I don't know how they ever found out half of everything that I did, but at the same time, I'm thankful that they did. And I think that that's a part of God's mercy when our sin is exposed, sometimes brought to the surface. Does it bring humiliation and embarrassment? Absolutely, it does at the highest extent. But your response to that humiliation, conviction, or the finding out is what matters next. David's response to the Lord calling out was that of calling out in sorrow. In other words, he admitted his wrongs. He came to a place, he came to accept that he had done himself wrong, the kingdom wrong, Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, wrong. More importantly, he had done God wrong. Through David's sorrow and admittance to his wrong, though, we experience the mercy of God rather than the full wrath of God. David's life is a life that we can all look upon for what to do and what not to do. But it is also a life that we can reflect on and see how real he was, just as you and I. I'm not condoning sin in the least, and God is not our genie in a bottle. But I do find peace in knowing that no matter what I've done, no matter what I do, that if I will always try to find my way back to God, that he will embrace me with open arms. He has a plan for each and every one of us. Sometimes you will fall because that's just simply our nature. But thank God he made a way for us to get back up again. And thank God he is fighting for us even when we can't see it, when we don't feel it, even when it's silent and it's dark. We don't know which way to go. Just keep trusting. Just keep seeking. Just keep on walking, and I can assure you that he will be with you every step of the way. Praise the Lord. I'm going to hand it over to Brother Eric this morning. I enjoyed that this morning.
I was I couldn't help you. You got my wheels turning when you were when you were talking this morning. Goliath's name simply means this. It means to expose or to uncover. David's name means beloved. Found it interesting when you were talking about that the greatest giant that David fought was not the giant of Goliath, but it was later on. To expose, to uncover. The greatest giant that you and I face is when we have to expose the fact that there are things in us that have to be worked on. For David going in, confronting the fact that he had sinned, that he had messed up, that he had brought a reproach not only upon himself but for others, exposing that, opening that up, was truly the greatest giant, I believe, that he ever fought. And for you and I, I believe that, and I'm not trying to reteach the masterful job that you did, but it struck me for us many, many times the exposing of God, I need you to work in this area of my life, is our greatest giant. But he was still beloved. He was still David. And it doesn't matter. There's all kinds of giants that we're going to face, but I'm so thankful that he still loves us, that he still looks at us and he calls us his beloved. Could we stand this morning and could we just reach out to him? I'm so thankful we have a God that loves us like that. Lord, we love you. I thank you, God, for allowing us to come into your house today. I thank you for your word that you've already spoken. I thank you for what you're going to do in our main service. We love you. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Thank you so much for being a first word. That was a tremendous word that we've heard this morning. I'm looking forward to what's fixing to take place. We're going to take a small, short break and come back, and we're going to kick off our main service. So if you're a guest, please don't go anywhere because it's, it's, we're about to enter into another time of worship, and you don't want to miss that. But we are going to take about a 10-minute break for you to stretch your legs, get a cup of coffee or whatever you need, and then we'll start our main service. Thank you so much for being at First Word. God bless you.